welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning. Oh, excuse me, I forgot I'm in San Antonio. Howdy! Although I lived in Nashville a long time, and we had uh, Minnie Pearl there, and it was, Howdy! I can't get quite up in the range. Welcome to this meeting of Sexholics Anonymous. My name is David from Portland, Oregon, and I will be your facilitator for this session. Uh, and I'm going to be joined by you. Um, that's what it says here anyway. And the topic of this meeting is step one, powerlessness and unmanageability. And we take a moment to silence all electronic devices. If you need to use yours during the meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recording of this or any meeting. And after a moment of silence, would you please join me in the serenity prayer? Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being recorded. If you're not sure your share will be appropriate or on the topic, please participate by listening. The recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason, with one exception that I'll mention in a minute. If you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so the listener can follow you. If you do not wish to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. The exception is uh, this session is scheduled to go from uh, 8 a.m. It's 8.12 now, so we're obviously starting a little later, which is fine. And I appreciate all of you being on time. And uh, we're supposed to go to 10.15, which I'm happy to do. Uh, but Lee had already, uh, the taper had already said, and I, I wanted to anyway. We'll take a break, a 10-minute break at 9 a.m. So people can go to other sessions if they wish, and uh, maybe someone will come in too. And also just to give us a chance to take a break, and then we'll come back at 9, um, 10, and, and go and, and finish the first step. And uh, the format of this is I'm supposed to share for a few minutes, uh, 10 minutes or so they suggest, on step one, which I'm glad to do. And then we invite your questions and answers, and I mean questions and responses and things like that. Functionally, um, it'll be easiest if you do want to talk or ask a question or whatever, that'd be great. I'll move over here to this seat to my left, and if you could come up and take a seat so there's no transition time of people walking up, uh, or minimal amount anyway, and um, and we'll just have a little lineup uh, of people. And uh, there'd be no, because we're small, which is fine, um, if somebody wants to do some, come up more than once, that's not a problem, um, at least not for me. On that. I, um, as I said, I'm David, I'm a sexaholic. 
And by the grace of uh, my higher power, uh, God, as I understand Him, uh, my sobriety date's August 2nd, 1988, for which I can never be sufficiently grateful. And I came in uh, to SA, um, I hit bottom, as I didn't know at the time, but it turned out to be, um, on August 1st, 1988, and came to my first meeting the next day. Um, and what it, what happened was, I was sharing this yesterday, um, I ran out of solutions. I ran out of David is what happened. Um, a friend of mine says, the disease stopped working for me. I, I don't know if I can say that about me. I, I don't know if the disease stopped working for me or not. I, I understand the concept. I'm just not sure. What I am sure is that I ran out of my capacity to handle it, to handle David as a sex addict. And the damage I was doing to my family, uh, to my workplace, uh, in the community, and and to myself. And and as we often say, uh, for which I can never be sufficiently grateful that I hit that point. Um, Step one, someone asked me yesterday, uh, how often have you been through the 12 steps? Which is a perfectly reasonable question. And I said, it's confusing because I do steps 1, 2, 3, 6, and 7, and uh, 10, 11, 12 every day. So it's difficult to to sort of pull them apart. And and then there are times when I've just sat down and gone through the 12 steps, and that's probably two or three times total uh, when I've just gone boom, 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 boom. Um, the steps are suggested as our program of recovery. Um, the original draft, or at least Bill Bilson writes this, uh, the original draft of the A Big Book said it was mandated or required as a program of recovery. And Bill said these alcoholics said, we don't take anybody giving us orders. So they changed the word to suggested. And um, and I think it's, it was a good decision. Um, it was also a good decision to... Um, have the italics of God as we understood him in steps 3 and 11. <coughs> because one thing, two things I was going to say about coming in. First of all, I came in through the same doorway virtually everybody else I've ever met in this program has come in, and that is through pain. Um, I was just in immense pain, and as I said, I could no longer explain it away or figure a clever way out of it. Um, and I thought that was a problem. It turned out to be a gift. And uh, secondly, the um, the consequences. This one friend I have in the program says, um, "Bottoming out is when the um, crap is piling up faster than I can lower my standards." And and I, that was I tell everybody we have very low standards for admission to this program, and if you haven't met them, you probably need to come back later. Um, and my standards, uh, my criteria for admission was. Plenty low um, in terms of violating ethical codes and violating people's integrity and lying to my wife and all those things that we do. Um, and the um, none of us come in, in my experience, too, with a relationship with a higher power, God as we understand Him, works because I tell people because it's true for me certainly. If I did have a relationship with a higher power that was working, 
I wouldn't be here. I'd be somewhere else. I'd be doing something more, you know, something else fun, something else interesting, whatever, useful. And um, so the steps in my experience are the opening to building a relationship with a power greater than myself. Um, and to acknowledge, and it's it, the speaker last night, Jess, did a great job of describing the common, not the only one, but a very common attitude that people come in with about God or higher power. Well, I believed in God all my life. That's not a problem for me. And, and uh, it, in terms of addiction, though, if it is a problem if it's not working for you. And, uh, and this is a program that's focused on developing that relationship, um, sometimes creating it uh, from scratch. I came in as an atheist. I'd been raised an atheist. My parents were both atheists. And, um, and in my occupation, uh, that wasn't a problem. And I thought that was going to be a problem because I knew enough about the 12 steps, knew God makes quite a few appearances in the 12 steps. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Um, it turned out that coming in that way, and this is actually in step two in the uh, 12 and 12, um, it turned out that coming in as an atheist turned out to be a tremendous advantage because God had never let me down. How can something that doesn't exist let me down? And I had never resorted to God to try to get me out of a scrape. Um, how can something that doesn't exist, you know, I can't say anybody who's responsible other than myself for my behavior. Uh, the other thing is I didn't have any disappointments to claw my way through. Um, so the, that was early on in the program. I mean, in the first few weeks, I began to realize that something that's become sort of an absolute for me over time is the things I think are problems turn out to be good things, benefits to me, and the things I think are good for me are probably going to turn out to be a problem. Um, and it, it led to my developing what is my rule of 180, uh, that I just get everything backwards. Um, and that's not entirely unheard of. A friend of ours in the program in Portland had a stroke the other day, and he had a stroke on the right side of his brain, so his left side of his body is paralyzed. And... Uh, Hopefully it'll come back. Um, and um, so this opposite wiring is not unknown, in our, even in our own anatomy. And I just happen to have it morally and spiritually. Um, the things I think are good for me are probably not, and vice versa. The uh, Step one, um, we admitted we were powerless over lust, and our lives had become unmanageable. As is true with any author, uh, Everybody likes to put their imprint on things they write. And so our founder, Roy Kay, uh, put his imprint on step one that is actually there in our literature to this day, and I just skipped it intentionally. Uh, the way we actually have it written in our steps is we admitted that we were powerless over lust and that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, Roy added the second that uh, so it, people would know it was he <laughs> that had been there. Uh, it's kind of like in the bottom of Navy ships, people writing back in World War II, people writing Kilroy was here. Um, so you'll see both versions from time to time. One is the straight AA version and one is us. It really doesn't make any difference because uh, it's that the wording of the first step is just totally critical and the adding a word doesn't change it. 
And the most important word in the entire 12 steps, in my experience, is the first word. And it's also the word that asks the most of me. Um, and it opens the doorway to what everybody promised me would happen, and they were right. Uh, and that is, this is a program about ego deflation and depth. Um, it's in the liter- it's in our big book literature in 12 and 12. It's in our white book. Uh, this is a program of ego deflation and depth. And, and the most powerful deflation of our ego is that first word in the steps, we. We admitted. Um, and often all of us, including me, in my experience, um, changed the we to an I. I admitted. And, you know, I came to believe. I made a decision. And that's not actually the way the steps are written. They all begin with we. It's just from steps 12, 2 through 12, it's, the we is not printed there. It's, it's implicit. <coughs> Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we believe is the root of all our problems, is what the big book says. And that's certainly my experience. And so the only antidote to selfishness, self-centeredness, is we, to be a part of the whole and uh, to recognize that I cannot do this alone. I need a power greater than myself, which may be God. It also can just be the people sitting in the meeting with me. It can be each of you sitting here this morning. We admitted. And I didn't know on the night of, on the afternoon of August 2nd, that I was doing that. I just know that I said to the therapist that my wife, with whom my wife and I had an emergency appointment, um, when she said, well, I think you're a sex addict, and I said yes. And, and that was my beginning of actually implementing step one. Um, I didn't know that, as I said. I thought I knew the 12 steps. It was a lie. I didn't. And um, and I didn't know him enough to know that's that's what was beginning. Looking back on it, though, um, it's very clear. And we admitted that we were powerless over lust. My experience over the years has been that most people who come back. Now, I was talking to a guy at breakfast today. Um, most people don't come back. We get a lot of visitors, and they may even come for a while, and then they stop coming. And there could be a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, a lot of people come and realize they're not addicts. Uh, the definition of an addict pretty much includes, and Roy does a really good job of this in the white book, by the way, um, that we have to try to stop and fail. And I, over the years, I've been through this many times with people. I didn't have to worry about it for myself. I'll come back to that in a second. Um, if someone has not tried to stop and failed, maybe they're an addict, maybe they're not. Who knows? I don't know. They don't know. We'll find out. Um, an addict is someone who, um, with sufficient consequences, I mean, excuse me, a, a person who, who, people can act out in the same ways. So this be sexually active, you know, acting in sexually irresponsible ways, compulsive ways, whatever. If with sufficient consequences they can stop, then they're not an addict. They may be something else. They, you know, have a serious problem. Uh, but an addict is someone, and I'm one of those, um, who with immense consequences keeps going anyway. Now, there, this can be confusing because some of us are bingers. Uh, we only act out in our, we see this most clearly with alcohol, but in fact it's true with any addiction. 
um, sometimes we can go a long period of time without acting out in our disease and then crash and we go for it. Binging is very confusing. Um, and um, to really, what my sponsor told me, um, Harvey was Harvey, uh, told me was that um, binging, I mean, excuse me, these long periods of not acting out are just really helpful to us because they show us how long we can white-knuckle it. And um, and I, I've held on to that. Um, I think it's accurate. On the other hand, um, in my case, I'm not a binger. Um, I'm one of those people that never let the glass run dry. I had... Um, sexual images, fantasies, plans, uh, regrets, uh, something to get a, a lust jag going just all the time and uh, 24-7, um, which has meant a whole bunch of things in terms of my sobriety and recovery that I've had to do. And, um, and I'm just like an alcoholic who just never lets the glass run dry and always has the next bottle nearby. Um, and uh, so... I always thought that was a problem, you know, that I was a continuous drinker. And of course it is a problem, I, I'm a lust addict. At the same time, it was a gift because I didn't have the binging phenomena to deal with that I just mentioned. Um, a lot of people, as I said, do discover that they're not addicts, though, and they go, they come and they get better, they realize what they're doing, they change it, and they go away. That's fine, if we can be useful to people that way. And who knows who they will affect down the road who may come to us and really does need us. I'm never negative about them. And then a lot of people just aren't ready for that ego deflation and depth. And I always respect somebody who comes into this program and says, I, they may not say it this way, but the content's the same. I cannot accept that I'm powerless over lust. I cannot accept that my life is unmanageable by me. And... <coughs> if that's their attitude, fine. I, I, you know, I, I, I can go for that because it's really asking a lot to give up that thing. About, I had, when I came into this program, I had centered my life around David and his self-centeredness for 38 years. I had a lot of inertia built up in that. And um, letting go of that was not at all, not at all easy for me. Um, I knew it was essential, though, so I went to that. So powerlessness is a, is a big deal, and it really is the the core of the addiction in terms of uh, identifying. I mean, uh, identifying it as an addiction that we have to have tried to have stopped and failed, uh, and it could be confusing, as I said, because of binge behavior or white knuckling, and that our lives have become unmanageable. Um, over the years, I've been coming now for. 29 years and, what is it, six months or five months, six months, I guess. Um, and I find most people who stick around, which is a subset of who comes, you know, not even a very large percentage, most people who stick around are pretty comfortable with powerlessness. That's, they kind of dealt with that by sticking around. Most people, and probably myself, I spotted I got it, um, really get kind of quiet, little reservations about our life becoming unmanageable. Um, and I didn't realize for a long time, that's what happened to me on that night of August 1st, is that uh, I ran out of manageability. <laughs> I, 
I didn't have any more solutions, any more evasions, any more lies, any more clever, you know, Gandhi dancing. Um, I just, I'd run out. And fortunately, I can remember that night, uh, partly just because it's in my head, mostly because I keep talking about it. Um, one of my favorite AA speakers, guy lives in Dallas, actually, said, as long as we remember the moment at which we knew the jig was up, we never have to go back to drinking. He was talking about alcohol. He said, if we forget that moment we knew the jig was up, we will go back to drinking. And I've, I take him seriously. I think he's absolutely right. And, um, and, and to know at that moment, remembering that moment when I ran out of manageability, um, and, uh, and my symptom was so crystal clear. I didn't know this at the time either, but looking back on it, I literally became speechless. And, uh, being speechless is not normally one of my issues. And, uh, and I ran out of that. For many years, I didn't understand that at all. And then I was working with a great therapist, great for me, therapist. And, and he was really pushing on me. It was an issue around my dad, but, um, he was really pushing on me to sort of confront something, look at something. And, um, and I got so emotional that I couldn't talk. So after I kind of got through that, I, his name was Steve. I said, Steve, I just realized what happened that night when I came into the, before I came into the program. I was just having pure emotions. And when I have pure emotions, I can't talk. I said, that's great. <laughs> and it's happened a number of times since. And it almost always is related to that unmanageability. That um, that David has run out of solutions. David has run out of things to do. And uh, and uh, my sponsor, um, this was Harvey again too, used to say, David, as long as you think there's something there for you, this I think I, I had a pattern early on it, when I came into SA. We had about 40% women in our program, and I would frequently end up talking to them after the meeting. And Harvey confronted me on it one night correctly and uh, and among the things he said was um, as long as you think there's something there for you David you'll keep going back to it and that turns out to generalize to everything in my in my recovery um, if I think there's something there for me I'll go back to it and that's the manageability unmanageability that's that's the crux um, and the part of me the selfishness self-centeredness that wants that jag that comes from sexual arousal which is what this disease is about um, if I think it's there for me, I'll go back to it. And, and I've, I get to confront that. That's the progressive victory over lust, uh, part for me. And, um, and, and either hold on to it and have the consequences of that or let it go. And, and the letting it go is working step one. The background, or I shouldn't say the implications of, uh, Step one are in the 12 and uh, throughout the 12 and 12 in various ways, but, um, but in page 68 in the 12 and 12, it says this. It's about step six, but it's talking about step one, and I'll just read a couple of sentences here. Many will at once ask, how can we accept the entire implication of step six? We're entirely ready to have God remove our defects of character. Why, that is perfection. This sounds like a hard question, but practically speaking, it is not. Only step one, 
where we made the 100% admission that we were powerless over alcohol can be practiced with absolute perfection. The remaining 11 steps state perfect ideals. They are goals toward which we look and the measuring sticks by which we estimate our progress. And I remember the, I don't remember the first time I read it actually, but I remember it finally dawned on me that that yes, I had to perfectly admit I was powerless over lust and perfectly admit my life had become unmanageable. And as I said, I've watched people waffle on unmanageability many times over the years. And um, all the other steps, two through 12, um, just do my best. And they'll change all the time. And I have to keep working them. That's not on the list of choices if I want serenity. Um, I just have to keep doing it. The, I think those are the things I wanted to open with, and I'll open it to you. I, I was going to read this, and I'm not going to. Um, maybe I'll just read one little piece of it. But people, uh, in in our white book, Roy does a, a nice job on step one, and maybe I'll read that later in the second session, some of what he says. In the AA big book, step one is not labeled as step one. Um uh, nor is step two, for that matter. But there are chapters. There's a chapter on step one. There's a chapter on step two. And uh, step two is we agnostics. And step one, this one before it, is more about alcoholism. And and the opening, so it's pages 30 and 31, and and uh, I commend them to you to be familiar with those pages and go back to them as often as you need to, mostly because of the opening lines. And I'll change it to sexaholics. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real sexaholics. No person likes to think he or she is bodily and mentally different from their fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising that our lusting careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could lust like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, we will con- he or she will control and enjoy drinking, lusting, is the great obsession of every abnormal luster. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. I would like to say, by the way, in SA, we tend to minimize the death part. Um, and yet over the years, it's generally about one suicide a year um, that has happened. It, it has been a little less frequently, but I think that may have more to do with my awareness than anything else. And um, it's a very deadly disease. And then there's that wonderful line, uh, We sexaholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our lusting. We know that no real sexaholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I I just hold on to those those phrases in that opening lines of more about alcoholism. that we all, none of us like to think we're different from our fellows. All of us would like to be normal lusters, especially in a society that uses lust to buy, sell, and trade everything. Um, I remember years ago, and as far as I know, nothing's uh, changed on this. Um, every major advance in the internet has been caused by pornography. Um, all of the video, all of the uh, uh, use of um, credit cards on the internet, um, all of the broadband developments were, were all rooted in pornography. So it was to make pornography more accessible. 
because that's uh, and they were in a society that just does that. Um, so it's it's very confusing, and yet for someone who's a sexaholic like myself, um, it leads. If I think I can handle it, if I think my life is not unmanageable, um, it will lead to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And when I say we have very low standards for admission, that's what I'm talking about. That pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. That is, you know, no matter how hard I've tried, this is still exactly I'm doing the same thing. And if I want different results, I guess I'm going to have to change. And step one opens the doorway to that. I'm going to read what they tell me to read here. And then... um, I invite you to ask questions and share your thoughts and all that. Um, I'm going to move to the left here, but if, if the first one or two people who might want to say or ask something would come up, then at least we know that part's underway. Um, and let me read this here. Here are the guidelines for sharing at this meeting. If you would like to ask a question, please see clearly into the mic so that everyone can hear you. For the sake of time, please ask just the question without getting too much detailed background information. In participation, we avoid topics that lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. If someone feels another is getting inappropriately explicit or is focusing excessively on the problem rather than the solution, they may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. Please do not share any felony for which you have not been adjudicated, as we may be required to inform law officials to protect the injured. Please be mindful of what you share to not break your own or another member's anonymity. Having said that, you may have noticed I often share my last name, so um, people do what they do. Um, I think I don't need to read anything for a while. I'm going to move over, so if you'll move here. This is a little engineering project here. Uh, well, it's mostly for the recording, so you make your choice. It doesn't make any difference. Okay. And if the next person would come up, come on here, please. Okay. And if you want, if someone's going to want to ask a question, come up, so we don't have transition time. Uh, good morning. My name is David, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, my question is, so, you know, I've you know, I live in San Antonio. I'm in the San Antonio Fellowship. I've been in and out of the program for almost eight years. So I've been on step one literally the whole time I've been in the program. Uh, a lot of the sponsors in our fellowship will not touch you with, with working the steps if you're not sober 30 days. If you can't achieve 30 days, does that mean you can't get past step one like ever? I mean, it's like, and then, because that's been my situation the whole time I've been in the fellowship um, and I don't feel I'm not blaming anybody for for not for being a chronic slipper, not being able to stay sober, but I'm not getting through the steps. That's not helping me either. So, I mean, I feel like I need to be, you know, in college. Uh, I felt like all throughout life, anything, anything I've ever done outside of this fellowship, I've always felt like I was accomplishing something. I was doing something. I was right, you know, whatever. But in the, in, in this fellowship, or in this program, I don't feel I'm getting anywhere. And again, it's not anybody else's fault. I guess I'm not staying sober, but at the same time, 
I need to be progressing. How do you progress through the steps? I guess you can't. I've, I've been in the fellowship long enough to know that, but I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. Can you even do any work on steps two through 12 until you get sober? That's my question. Stay here because we may have a dialogue. Um, great question, and on many levels. Um, and remember, anything you hear at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the drunk who shares it, right? That would be me in this case. I am not one of those people who would follow the practice you're encountering. Um, I have worked, gone through the 12 steps with many people who are still acting out. Um, I shouldn't say many, only because, not because I'm not willing to do it. I am willing to do it. Most of them leave the program. So, so one thing that my sponsor Harvey taught me, I've had a number of sponsors, but Harvey happens to be the source of many of these things, um, is that the true miracle in this program is that anybody comes back at all. So, and I don't mean to be exaggerating here. You're a walking miracle just by sitting here today. So, you know, don't don't be too hard on yourself. Or I understand the discouragement. I'm not disagreeing with you in the least about that. Um, secondly, uh, I take the approach, it's my experience, that sobriety is a byproduct of a relationship with a higher power. And it's it's a gift, and and we have no idea. And the big book actually, a big book talks about this in almost this exact way. We have no idea why some people come in and are sober from day one. That so far is me, one day at a time. Some people come in and struggle a lot for several years. Uh, the woman last night who got her uh, chip, uh, what was it, 1999, so whatever that would be, 18, 17, 18 years. She talked about being a chronic slipper and having one massive. She came in in 93 and, you know, went on that. And that just happens. That was pretty normal. I sponsor a guy who just had a phenomenally difficult first two years. Um, and finally, as I have done more than once over the years, I sent him off to, I mean, he paid for it, but I sent him off to a treatment program and, and uh, that did it. And he's been now sober since 2000, so whatever it is, 17 years. <laughs> so that happens. And then we have some people, uh, we have several in Portland, but I've known them everywhere, uh, who've never really had any consistent sobriety, and they still keep coming to meetings. And we're all equal. It's, that's what anonymity means, by the way. We're all here as equals. If anybody's telling you, including David, uh, that not you, <laughs> I mean me, if anybody's telling you they're better or got it better off or clever or more insight or they work the program better than you, you know, humor them because they have a problem. You know, it's, mental illness is hard to sit around sometimes. I know that. So just humor them and know they're not right, that um, we're all in here as equals. We have a common problem. We have a common solution. Solution is a relationship with a higher power. I'm very much a believer. So first of all, the fact that you're coming back after eight years is spectacular as far as I'm concerned. Secondly, um, there's no judgment involved. We we come, as Harvey used to say, David, we're not bad people trying to be good people. We're sick people trying to get well, and and uh, which I'm doing right now, as a matter of fact. Um, and it just takes different times, and God works in different ways in our lives. And I, my own experience, and this may or not be true. You, I'd love to have you respond to this. Um, two things on what you said. My own experience, first of all, is all of us have to wrestle. I call it wrestling with the italics. 
we have to find a God as we understand Him, as we understand Him. It's not the God part. Um, that works for us. And it may or may not be anything anybody else can speak to, can show us. Um, and, and wrestling with the italics just takes a long time. Um, and yet it's essential to come up with a, a way, uh, to have a relationship with a higher power, which may be the, maybe the group itself, it very commonly is. Um, and then the other thing is to, um, just accept whatever it is that we've got, that that's where we are right now, and that's okay. Um, but I'm curious if any of this triggers any things in you since you're sitting here. Uh, I'm not afraid to say like who my higher power is. I mean, my higher power is Christ, Jesus Christ. But um, I'm one of those people that, like, I'm not afraid of people. I'm not afraid to go up to people, whether it's in this program. I have a lot of friends in the Christian community. I was raised Catholic, uh, in the Catholic and non-Catholic community. And this program, I don't know how to reconcile it with um, who I am in Christ, uh, this this so-called failure identity of, like, sexaholism. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a, for me, it's like a shame-based identity. It's... Uh, Having to go to these meetings for the rest of my life, you know, I go, when I go to church, uh, not everyone knows that I'm in this program, but I know, and um, I see the joy in my Christian friends and, and the the perpetual joy, the 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 the, the life, you know, the, in the spirit, and I want that. And they're always telling me, just press into the Lord more, you know, read read the Word, uh, serve, and. I believe that. I believe that that you know that would help me too. But but yeah, I'm not staying sober. Um, um, and I know I'm powerless. You know, I, I've I've done a lot of work on step one. I've uh, I've written pages and pages of of you know a sex so-called quote-unquote sexologue, but. It's like at some point I need, to move, I need to move past that. There's like there's more to be done in the steps, and I mean I almost want to blame the fellowship here for not you know for someone not standing up and telling me like no like David you need to get through the steps like you don't need to be stuck on step one even though you're you're um, you're you're not getting sober. Part of the problem is I live with my parents and I don't have a really healthy dynamic there either, and you know they're they're unmanageability with their life and their toxicity is rubbing off on me and unless I move out you know I'm constantly going to be around I'm, I'm going to be triggered by people that are unhealthy but and this fellowship is not here to get me a job or help me move out of my house but it's all wrapped together and nobody is well I shouldn't say nobody but um, this isn't working like what I've been doing for eight years and um but I'm not willing to let go of who I am in Christ. Like I was, that's what I was raised with, and I don't want to let that go. I just need help finding, reconnecting with Him, either in this fellowship or I don't know. So those are my thoughts. That was great. And let me respond to that. And if someone else wants to come up, so thank you for being patient with me. Yeah, you can leave. Um, the um, I think part of where you're caught. And this is useful to know in working the steps. If we're having trouble with a given step, 
the rule is, and it is a rule, it's not written anywhere, but it's still a rule, the rule is that we're still working on the step before. Now, Roy, unusually in 12-step programs, has a great riff on step zero, and and it, it does a good job of that. And step zero is feeding the addiction in any form. Feeding, I mean, we have to cut off all forms of feeding it. That's pretty radical. I've had a number of people who've just had to, whose lives, their professional lives depend on using computers. They've had to give up computers. People say, what's going to any length? Well, that's going to any length. Um, almost everybody, Roy does a great job uh, in one of his writings of talking about how our disease comes in through the eyes, which turns out to be physiologically accurate. And, and my experience personally is that any uh, visual media, I mean electronic media, any television, any DVD, any um, smartphone, any tablet, um, movies are in between somewhere. Books are different. Um, any visual media will trigger the addiction. So if someone is being triggered by that, they probably have to give everything up along visual media. The number of people who have refused to do that that I sponsor are legion. <laughs> I sponsor too many people, I'm sure, but um, but anyway, that's the thing. The other thing is that in responding, the other thing you said, and then I'll wind up with one more thing after that, um, is um, we have 12 steps, but as sometimes is true with steps in real life, not all the risers are the same height. And step two, in my experience, is the hardest of all the steps. Um, to really believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us. I, I, it took me a long time to realize how important it was for me to be the worst person in the room, <laughs> uh, in my mind, and to restore us to sanity. Uh, it's a really difficult step. So you're kind of between those two steps. And it's a tough place to be, a zero and two. Um, the other thing I would suggest before you leave this conference, get through step five. There's no reason not to. It would take you about four hours. If you're going to stay here through noon tomorrow, that means you've got uh, 28 hours to get it done. Uh, you could spend four hours out of that time and you could be through step five, as far as I'm concerned. Now, would you find people here in San Antonio who agree with me? Oh, probably not. I don't know. I'm just... But you'll find plenty of people here, be, and it's, it would be no big deal to do it. So um, if you can't do step five, at least get your fourth step underway. Uh, steps two and three, I can tell you about afterwards. The, there's, there's a way to do them that's really fast if you want to do it. I'll stop, and I'd like to go to you. Thank you. Uh, Kent Sexaholic, also from the San Antonio group. I've been with the group about six months. Um, so... I uh, I do go into that, uh, what he was talking about, the 30 days. My uh, sponsor also, that's a requirement. Um, but they also talk a big part about step zero, which is often the step that's overlooked. And I know with me, just talking about me, um, I think I classify myself as a chronic slipper. And yesterday, actually, in a, um, one of the meetings I went to, and uh, it was the question was brought up: Hey, well, how, how do you help a chronic slipper? And the question that the young man uh, asked, and 
it was pretty much like an epic answer that I definitely need to hear. And it was it was kind of quite simple. It was like, I, I'm at the point now where I know when I either get in a lust hit or I know when I'm I'm doing all the wrong things about to act out. And in those situations, you know, that's when I got to change that action because, you know, I'm pretty sure all y'all done heard the, the whole term of uh, being insane, you know, doing the same thing and expecting different results. So for me, I'm like, I'm naturally like kind of a shy person. So, uh, and our fellowship is all there. They're big on calling. You got to call. You got to call. You got these numbers call. And I don't want to call. I'm a shy person. I don't want to pick up the phone. But that's exactly what I need to do to break that process, to change that uh, action. And as course, I mean, it's easier said than done because, you know, uh, that's why I keep acting out. But, um, it was definitely something that I need to hear that, you know, I have to want to make those, uh, take those steps. Or, you know, and another part of what they were saying yesterday, like, hey, or you gotta, you gotta hit your bottom. I don't want to hit the bottom. I done heard enough horror stories to not want to hit the bottom. I'm not trying to go that route. So, um, for me, just as soon as I feel like I'm, Hey man, this this may go down the road, or I just got hit, or I just seen something, and I know what road is go. Because once I get the the computer or the uh alone, it's too late. It's too late for me. So I have to start making those calls. And yeah, it's gonna be weird at first, you know, of course, but it'll be normal to call on somebody to stop that action. So I don't know if that helps, but I know for me, that's why my son's like, well. His idea is, I don't want you to have to repeat step one. Like, I want you to do step one. You can go back to it, but I don't want you to have to redo it. So uh, that's all I got. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate everything you said, and I'm not going to add to it significantly or respond to anything. Um, I do think just... To find where I'm holding on, the thing I don't want to change, and then change that, as you were talking about the phone calls. Make them anyway. Um, and and just nothing changes unless we change it. That's just part of a letting go and letting God and getting our egos out of the way. And then the more I treat sobriety as a gift rather than something I can earn, if someone thinks they can earn their way to sobriety, that's fine. It's just they don't need 12-step recovery. Just do it. Um but to realize that it's a gift from my relationship with my higher power. And by the way, there's absolutely nothing in this program that would suggest anybody needs to give up their higher power. It's the relationship that's not working. It's not the higher power that's the problem. So, you know, whether it's a, from a Christian tradition or some other tradition or no tradition, it's having a relationship that works, that matters. It's not what how we identify the higher power. Um, I'll shut up. Thank you, David, for your service, your willingness to do all your service. My name is Bob. I'm a sexaholic from North Carolina. Uh, I've been sober for seven years. Now I've been in relapse for the last two years. Uh, I bought two weeks sobriety here today. Thank you. Uh, David, I really appreciate all your 
I found SA in, in McMinnville, Oregon, 2004. I've been in a few meetings with him but when I used to live out there years ago. Uh, for me, uh, the first step is uh, is uh, I have to have a complete division from that, from the first part, from the second part. Uh, I've been sober in AA for 17 years, and uh, for me, powerlessness or alcohol is real simple. When I once I put that alcohol down and I swallow it, I have no idea where I'm going to go and where I'm going to end up. You talk about suicide before, yeah. That that's you know, that's one of the things that that's available to me. But with the lust, it was so much more confusing for me because you know I equated lust and sex being the same thing, and it's not. It's not at all. Uh, uh, sex is a good thing where lust is nothing but control. I was always going to control my environment. That goes back to uh, my younger years. However, for me today, I realize that my issue is uh, my unmanageability. You know, uh, I am sitting in the body of the worst sponsor I could possibly ever have, and that's me. And that's what I do every time I decide that I'm going to do it my way. Because that's, you know, you can tell, like they say, you can tell an alcoholic, but you can't tell him much. Well, and it works for a sexaholic, too. Uh, and that's been my issue. Uh, I have problems with authority figures. That's had a lot of issues uh, through the years with uh, sponsors. Uh, I put my first sponsors that I had in my original program, you know, on a pedestal for many years. And uh, the first thing I start doing after a time is start doing their inventory. And uh, that's not a good thing for me to do. But for me today, the reason I'm you know, sitting here is relapsing. It's real simple. It's um, uh, I'm not following the instructions uh, the way it's laid out in the white book. I mean, we have all those examples of the, you know, the things we're supposed to do. One time I, um, God gave me a, uh, a uh, um, moment of clarity, and uh, I asked a sponsee one time years ago to, why don't you try grading yourself on all these items that they have in the back of the white book, how to stay sober, and how you're doing all those, you know, so he could see for himself, you know. He doesn't need me to grade it. He could see that for himself, what he was doing. I tried that on myself recently, and uh didn't didn't work out very well. So I realized that today it, you know, it comes down to manageability. And uh my sponsor's not my God today, and... uh my first sponsor was very good. We, uh, I had in the program. With, uh, his suggestion was to read page eighty-four through eighty-eight in the big book, and it took me a long time to have the, the courage to ask him, "Why are we in the middle of the book?" <laughs> Couldn't understand that. As really says, "Well, it's real simple, Bob. That's how you're going to live your life." And it, you know, eighty-four through eighty-eight is uh, not step, but step ten and eleven in the big book, and. Uh, it was, it was amazing how I started feeling better, and that was before I started working those steps already. So I, was, I agree 100% what Dave was talking about. Uh, the steps are made to be used. My problem is I have a lack of power. I cannot stay sober on my own power. And that's how I receive the power, God's grace, by real simply, you know, following following the message in the book. So thanks, thanks for letting me share. Thank you. I think if the paper appears, we're going to take a break in a few minutes. So you may either get to talk in a minute or you may have to wait a second. May, may wait 10 minutes. Um, 
I realized I hadn't said something that really is important. Um, my sponsor, Jess, used to just emphasize over and over again that all we have to give each other is love. And the big book is really clear, by the way, that I should never say anything that would keep somebody from coming back or keep coming when they're ready or when they when we have what they want and willing to go to any lengths to get it. So all we have to give each other is love. is rings in my head all the time, and I try to keep that fresh. And then the other thing is just to find lust, and, and you just touched on it, and I'm really grateful for that, um, as asking the world to be different than the way God's providing it at that time. And that definition of lust has been incredibly valuable because it allows me to practice these principles in all my affairs. I don't... I lust in every area of my life, or potentially, if I think God's making a mistake, it doesn't matter. It can be traffic. I shouldn't have been cut off by that person. Or it could be money. Why is, why don't I have enough money to do this? Or it could be, you know, politeness. Somebody was rude to me at a meeting or something. Lee, I'm, don't leave. <laughs> I was depending on you. Um, and um, the... Um, Lust is a can be a very broad category. It turns out to be a gift because then it removes it from separates it from sex, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, we're going to take a ten minute break now, uh, so we'll reassemble at nine ten, and I will ask you to start if you're willing when we come back. Uh, if anybody has any uh, questions or comments, um, come up and get in line. That'd be good. And uh, I just want to say this has been a, just the shares so far have been phenomenally wonderful for me, and I hope they've been helpful to you. And we'll now take a break. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.